Welcome to Living in the Stacks, the monthly podcast where we curl up with a good book and discuss what we thought of it. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dex. And I'm John. Hello. 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 <laughs> yeah, we're in a bit of a crunch because our <laughs> recording has been delayed a couple times. Because we're adults. Because <laughs> We are busy adults with many adult things to do. I'm wanting to say hey. this is the fourth scheduled time for the recording. <laughs> I think so. We're so good at this, guys. So good. Yeah, we're, we're, we're so professional. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, this is the start of our... Well, we decided uh, bet- uh, between recordings that every cycle is going to be a theme so that we can incorporate more themes into our session since we only record on a monthly basis instead of a bi-weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And so after this is going to be my theme, which is um, we're going to be like an indie author showcase. No, yeah, because Dex picked up post-apocalyptic. I'm going to do indie author showcase because uh, recently a, a bunch of our friends have been uh, published, become published authors, and we want to showcase them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see if we can't bring them in on recordings too. Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, but for right, but to start off our post-apocalyptic cycle slash dystopian, um, yeah. Right. <laughs> we uh, Melody picked the book, and I did. Uh, this is one of those lovely picks that I pick where I went on Goodreads, and they're like, "Oh, hey, you like this genre? Here's some books from that genre." And then I picked it because the synopsis sounded like it could be interesting. I didn't know much oh, about it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we yeah. read Blindness by Jose de Souza Saramago. No, it's Jose. Is it? it? Yeah, okay. he's he's Portuguese. Yes. He's Portuguese. Oh, I I did some okay. deep diving Portugueseness okay. today. <laughs> I was like reading uh, linguistic symbols on Wikipedia and stuff. Oh God. That's where yeah, we are. and in the audio book they they do pronounce it Jose. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this this guy, he's an interesting guy. Um, there was a lot about him, uh, and I will try my best to kind of expediate myself through it. Um, he is part of the military order of the St. James of the Sword, which is kind of like a, um, an order of chivalry in Portugal. So it's sort of like being knighted, um, that kind of equivalent. Ooh. Um, where it's awarded for outstanding services to science, literature, or art, and it can be awarded to anyone, so they don't even have to be Portuguese. Um, so you can be foreign, um, you can be civilian. It's not, even though it sounds very military, it's not. And he actually has the highest grade of the order. He's a super highly um, treasured author in Portugal and widely acclaimed there. Like he's probably, what are my cats doing? Uh, he's probably uh, their most well-acclaimed author. Um, he sold more than 2 million copies of his books in Portugal alone and has had his work translated into 25 languages. Um, let's see. Uh, he is a proponent of libertarian communism, which I've also heard called like anarcho-communism. So it's uh, you know, political philosophy and anarchist school of thought. Yeah, basically libertarian. Uh, on the spectrum, he's uh, on all the way to the left, and then like as far away from authoritarianism as you can get. So he's on the way bottom left. Yeah, so he's got this anarchist school of thought where he's a- he advocates for the abolition of um, like 
any government, capitalism, wage, labor, private property, uh, those kinds of things. Um, actively rails against the Catholic Church, the EU, and the IMF. Those are three of his big things that he kind of didn't want to be a thing. Um, he's an atheist, but did champion uh, love as the ultimate way to improve humanity, which I can dig that. Mm -hmm. um, one of his books was pretty controversial. Uh, it's called The Gospel According to Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, oh, and it was okay. removed yep. um, for consideration from, I don't know how to say this, Artisteum Prize um, uh, from a shortlist by the government of Portugal. And he was um, censored for it because he pretty much claims that Jesus and God in the book, um, that they were just fallible and uh, even like cruel yeah. human beings. So that uh, defeat caused him to exile himself right. to an island in Spain, and he lived there until he died in 2010. Hmm. Uh, just some real quick things about his background. He started out um, like as a land. His family started out as landless peasants in a small village. His brother died when he was real young, and something that he kind of um, cites as a really key event in his life is that he was living with his grandfather a lot when he was younger and he had a stroke um and he remembers his grandfather going out into the backyard when he had this stroke realizing that he was probably going to die for it and then he, like hugging the trees and like saying goodbye to them and that really impacted mm. him and it said it made him have no feelings <laughs> so i i don't I don't know. I feel like he's still got some feelings just reading the book, but that was that was the quote I read. Um, his parents couldn't afford to keep him in grammar school, so he moved to a technical school, and so he started working as a car mechanic, a translator, and then a journalist, and then he eventually could support himself writing. Um, he died from leukemia in 2010, and Portugal declared two days of mourning for him. So Even though they like, censored his one of his, his his like what last book? Yes, yes, and over twenty thousand people them. attended his funeral. So he's a very beloved figure. Um, yeah. Uh, go ahead. I was gonna. Well, if you had, I was gonna let you finish because uh, I did want to m mention one thing after I transcribed all one thousand and one books to read before you die. Uh, <laughs> but is there anything else? Uh, I was just uh, just gonna go about like his his usual writing topics are like kind of philosophical. He writes very um, most of his books are very fantastical. Like something happens in it that's a little weird. Like he's got this one book called The Stone Raft, which is about the Iberian Peninsula breaking off from Europe and then sailing around the Atlantic. Um, and another one that seems kind of more in the vein of blindness uh, is called Death with Interruptions. And it takes place in a country where suddenly nobody dies. So I'm guessing well, that's going right. to put, you know, strain on religion, uh, like those kinds of things of a country. So he likes to deal with those kinds of things, um, focusing on the human condition, um, isolation of contemporary urban life. And uh, focuses on, like, liking to see communities bonding and building. That's a big theme in his work. And that's all I've got. 
Yeah, um, all I was going to add was, in transcribing all 1001 books, I would like to try and get as many uh, from the list as as we can, given our limited scope. Uh, I did find, like, six? Let me see. Uh, okay, three. Um, the Year of the Death of Ricardo Reis. Um, the History of the Seas of Lisbon and the double are all listed like he showed up several times in transcribing the 1001 books to read before you die so they definitely um considered him a great author to be reading so uh we just didn't happen to read one of those <laughs> books oh uh, yeah um i'd also be remiss if i didn't mention if i failed to mention that this dude has a Nobel prize <laughs> <laughs> In so, literature. Yeah, in literature. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll actually discuss this book. Finally. Uh, <laughs> you. You out there. Do you know what horror is? You like horror films. You like gore. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the gummy cat Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying To discuss this interesting show? long yeah. book. <laughs> um, I did. I, I think I mentioned it last time. There was a 2008 uh, movie adaptation starring Julianne Moore and Mark Ruffalo that I rented twice from Amazon and still never watched. No. Uh, oh, that's fitting. Rip. And uh, yeah, the. I, and I, which makes it's kind of fitting for this book because this is the one where we I we, I think we all had the most trouble actually trying to read it. Yeah, yeah, I actually didn't read it at all because I've I've become a convert to just admitting that I'm an audiobook girl and <laughs> this is just the way my life is going to be <laughs> at this point in my life and not to have shame about listening to an audiobook and that while it is not reading with my eyes, it is reading with my ears and hearing a wonderful story and still taking in the work. So I just went straight to the audiobook, listened to it within two days of it, you know, our last episode ending, uh, and then being like, okay, cool, cool book, guys. And then these, my fellow podcast hosts, they come to me, and what do they say? Go ahead. This book is hard as fuck to read. It is. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you describe it because I actually still I still haven't uh, looked at it. Too many commas, and I say this as a fan of the Oxford comma. Like, bro, use a period. 
<laughs> and absolutely no quotation marks, no None. real way of knowing who's saying what at any given time, because he will have an entire fucking conversation. Okay. Um, oh, my God. I don't know if this is, like, a thing in Portuguese, like, more artistic writing, if this is an artistic choice, or if this is how their grammar works in Portuguese compared to, say, English. There's, like, endless run-on sentences with mm -hmm. commas where two people will be talking back and forth with each other, but you can never tell who's saying what. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, assuming we all got ended up, you know, admitting defeat and getting the same audiobook, <laughs> the reader did a very good job of giving each speaker his or her own voice. Yes, props to so Jonathan was... Davis, not of corn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, let's see. Yeah, I mean, blindness uh, Dex would, has I mean, the actual book. A, a song adaptation of this book would be pretty awesome. <laughs> oh my god. By Korn. Oh, yeah, it would be right up Korn's alley, I yeah. think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me see if I can go back to where I just found a good sentence, but it's like all... <laughs> Sorry, I made you literally... place. I don't remember corn okay. songs having so much poop in them. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, I don't remember Freak on the Leash talking about uh, that at all, but maybe later day corn. Oh my gosh. Okay, so this one sentence starts about a third of the way down a page. Now, granted, it's an e-book, so it's smaller pages, but still. Uh, and then I do not see a period until the middle of the next page. And it's like, uh, the conversation was overheard by blind people in their immediate vicinity. And it goes without saying that there was no need to wait for the confirmation by oath before the news started to circulate, to pass from mouth to mouth in a murmur which shortly changed its tone. First incredulous, then alarmed, again incredulous. It was unfortunate that there were several superstitious and imaginative people in the congregation. The idea that the sacred images were blind, that the, their compassionate or pitying eyes only stared, at, stared out at their own blindness, became all of a sudden unbearable. It was tantamount to having told them that they were surrounded by the living dead. One scream was enough. Then another and another. Then fear made all the people rise and rise up. Panic drove them to the doors. Here the inevitable repeated itself, since panic is much faster than the legs which carry it. The feet of the fugitive trip up in their flight, even more so when one is blind and there he lies on the ground. Panic tells him, get up, run, they are going to kill you. If only he could get up, but others have already run and fallen too. You have to be strong-minded not to burst out laughing at this grotesque entanglement of bodies looking for arms to free themselves or feet to get away. That is all one fucking sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and like, get up is uh, capitalized because it's an inner monologue in some guy's head, but we don't know, we would only, we can only co convey that through like con somewhat context. Like he's mentioning inner monologuing and then it's capitalized like, okay, that's apparently now an inner monologue. And it's like, that's why I don't want to be too hard on it because we're dealing with somebody whose original language is not English. So I'm wondering, maybe it got lost in translation. Yeah. Like if this is a literal translation, grammar and all, then they missed the boat because I would much rather have a English formatted story 
and I don't need to read it in the original Portuguese grammar if that's even oh, no. the it's, case. It's an artistic choice. It's um, yeah. It's this is unique to him. It's not a, a linguistic a feature of <laughs> Portuguese literature. It's definitely I didn't think so because Portuguese is you know another Romance language. It, I right. would assume it's followed the same sentence structure yeah. as like right Spanish, Italian, you know, all the other Latin based languages. But um, yeah, so. That was the biggest issue for the actual people who tried. Uh, and that's the other thing too is that um, to any of our uh, our listeners who are out there, please say hi because hi. We, we need we validation. <laughs> we we need some validation, please. But um, I mean, I know if, we're all screaming into the abyss internally, but it'd be nice to know we're not doing it in real life too. <laughs> uh, but don't be a, a douchey gatekeeper saying. You can't say, listen to the audiobook and call yourself a reader. No. Yes, if you're you ingesting, you. exactly, <laughs> if you're ingesting a book of some kind in whatever format uh, it comes in, be it audio or paper or ebook, then you're ingesting it, and you're you're, you're and, you know ingesting that story. You're not you know you, you don't get to pick and choose who's a true reader. Plus, that thought is a bit. Thought. Ableist, yes. which brings us in right. to the first thing I'd like to talk about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so this book uh, centers around blind folks. Uh, the blindness is a little different. You know, it's a white blindness instead of a darkness. It's like not an absence of color, but just everything, I guess. Um, and they don't really go into why or how or, you know, what the purpose of this blindness is or anything like that it just happens and afflicts it's, our characters um it's treated as as a contagion essentially it's, it's yeah be, especially in, it's the, in the beginning in, in the beginning it's the all the people our main group of characters are all related in some way mm-hmm. you know like one is the doc our main like quote-unquote protagonists are the eye doctor uh, and his wife I don't know if that burp uh, was picked up on Mike. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but yeah, so the eye doctor and his wife, um, uh, the eye doctor looked at uh, our initial time. character, uh, who was just uh, a guy driving along the street, and he's the first one that we see suffer from blind. You know, he proclaims, I'm blind, I'm blind. And then the. D- then the dude who takes him home and then steals his car. Um, Basically, it snowballs into everyone that had that came in contact with this dude. Yeah, in some way, shape, or form. Well, not even that, because then like there's a. It's the other thing too. Was she actually a prostitute or was? I think so. Yeah, okay. a part-time prostitute is what I saw in the movie. <laughs> it's. She just liked it, so she didn't. It's not like a profession. It's. She was an amateur prostitute. Sure. <laughs> it, it felt very, it felt very, um, maybe it was in translation too, but it definitely felt very, um, uh, what's the right word? It treated her as like this. Slut shaming? Exactly. It felt very slut shamey of just like the way it described the fact that she was a prostitute. It felt kind of, it's not as offensive as like the way Frank Miller writes all women mm-hmm. as horse. But it definitely felt like because this woman, and maybe it's because, and and it does, and they also, you know, they're slut shaming within the within the culture of the characters as well. So it's not, you know, 
It's, uh, that's one thing. Yeah, of, I like, definitely depicting... feel it, it came across as, like, society's view, like, the popular, unfortunately, the popular view of sex workers uh, in yeah. society in general is, you know, it's looking down exactly. on them a bit. It felt, it felt like that. It didn't feel, I mean, it wasn't great for, you know, feminist ideas and that kind of thing, but at the same time, it, it didn't feel overly punishing. Exactly. It didn't, didn't, yeah, it didn't really punish her for being a sex worker, even though some of the people did, when when the blindness first started and she was afflicted, it did, you know, people did treat her like, well, that's what you get. But, I, you know, and I am glad that um, it's not as offensive to uh, that, you know, people in that line of work as, say, you know, people with blind, actual blindness, because, woof. <laughs> Yes. The way th- this book described being blind as like this terrible affliction befalling them, and yeah. like how, oh, oh no, I've lost my sight. Everything is horrible now, and it's like. So this I feel this like... is kind of what I wanted to get at is, do you feel like the way the blindness was described is ableist, or do you think it's actually a realistic depiction of how a person? Like, I, I, this is hard to phrase. Um, do you think it's like a realistic way to look at what's happening to a larger society? Like, do you think it sounds ableist because it's a little very bit. much so, or or is it more very the fact so. that the mass scale of it is what is making it well, bad? <laughs> here's here's my take on it: is that I think that if the government hadn't reacted to it, like an epidemic if it had just been like oh hey this is something that i mean i understand why they did but the fact that they treated blindness as this horrible epidemic is ableist in and of itself Mm -hmm. but if they had just treated it like okay this is something that's happening like we're going like humans are more adaptable than we give ourselves credit for i think that if these people had been allowed to stay in their homes instead of being quarantined and put into this god-awful shithole, um, then we would have seen a more kind of society-wide kind of shift towards better coping mechanisms, better ways of being rather than, well, everything's shit, we're all every man for himself mm-hmm. type of... So I, I, I think it was the, 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 the government's um, treating it as treating a disability as the end of the world. But uh, but also to kind of push back on that, um, since it was contagious, like normally blindness isn't contagious. So you know, if someone goes blind, they are allowed to live at home, and you know, uh, they're they seek out ways to adapt, and that's the way society goes. But at the scale that this is happening and the way it's being transferred and no one knows why, I feel, do do you feel like it's actually a realistic response to quarantine people? I mean, just quarantine in general, not what ended up happening with, like, how poorly planned this quarantine they end up doing is. That's the thing is that if they genuinely cared about finding out why the blindness is happening, then they wouldn't have been dumped into a this this shithole right. place like they a concentration camp almost. It, like 
okay, they would have been kept in like doctors on this thing and not just the one guy. the military mm-hmm. yeah let's not ju- let's not make it a military con- you know containment let's make it uh, a scientific inquiry mm-hmm. so it felt more like the way they're treating like these other they othered these people for having this affliction that they didn't really understand and whether or not that's realistic it's hard to say because i mean given the history of civilization and what we're what and some of the recent news stories not just in america but in you know in the world at large humans fucking suck yep <sighs> So, I mean, I can't say this is not realistic because, but, um, yeah, it, it, it definitely comes off as ableist, even if it's not intended to be ableist, right. it definitely comes off the way in so much as it's treating like the loss of the sight as this terrible affliction when people who maybe have never had their sight or have managed to cope with their sight are like, eh. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, see, yeah, like that's that's what I was hoping might happen. Is that, um, I mean, there's there's going to be people that are actually blind, you know, in the um the hospital when they're like, oh, well, they they must have someone who's who's actually blind and actually knows how to live in society like this. I feel like the way that humans adapt. We always kind of seek out some type of leadership one way or another, and I I feel like those people would somehow find a way to create organizations. I'm granted, we I don't really know what the time frame. I got a little bit lost in how long they were actually blind for. My head yeah, is not- telling me it was like a month, maybe yeah. a, a few weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, we, but. I f- I, maybe it's just not enough time um, because obviously their whole infrastructure failed. Like electricity was out because nobody's there to run the plants and all, all this kind of stuff. I just feel like smaller task forces of organized individuals would have formed somehow. Mm-hmm. Like you get that even in like The Walking Dead, which isn't the great. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you think about like. Like, the whole society breaks down, and this is a popular idea in most dystopian and post-apocalyptic things, is that we form new orders with new leadership structures, um, and the people who excel at surviving end up becoming the top of the totem pole there. So I was surprised that that didn't happen. Instead, everyone just shit on the streets everywhere. Yeah, it did seem to paint a dim... (laughs) A very, <laughs> a very dim view of humanity. I mean, I can't say he's necessarily wrong. Some of some, I mean, humans fucking suck. Well, I mean, that's the whole thing is that um, I I mentioned it in the little notes that I did take because I had to cram the audiobook that I I signed up for Audible through my Amazon Prime account finally, and uh, I got the audiobook through there. And um, I was cramming it in in the last couple of days before, um, I think, our last... Dis- <laughs> the one before... Attempted recording, yes. Attempted recording, yes. Um, and uh, the, the one thing that stood out to me among the initial group that we follow is the, the car thief. 
and it just remind and just something in fiction. There's just always that one asshole, and I forget who it was. I think it was John Malkovich who played him in Bird Box. Who's <laughs> just like there's just that one asshole who's got to fuck it up for everyone else, and I, it's just a it's like a trope in fiction. It's like there's always that one asshole in the group who's self-serving and cynical, and who thinks he's got the ideas, but really he's just an asshole. Luckily, this one met his end pretty early. Yeah, mm-hmm. and deservedly so, because he attempted to, even while blind, he attempted to uh, take advantage of the... Um, the girl with dark glasses. Yeah, and thinking because, oh, she because she sleeps around and, you know, she's essentially like a prostitute, then I can do this to her, and he gets exactly what he deserves. Mm-hmm. Yep. With, uh, shoe to the groin. Yep. And bleeding out. And dying. And dying because of infected wounds. Anyway. um, (laughs) Tells you what we think about rapists, doesn't it? (laughs) Thankfully, we're probably not in the minority Mm -hmm. with that opinion. I I should hope so. I really hope so, but you can never tell anymore. There's all... Two words, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, boy. Okay. <laughs> one one thing on I t- did want to make note of, though, was like by giving this this place that this takes place in no name or no country, like it's it's harder to keep it universal when these specific things happen because societal context is so so crucial when telling right. a story that's analogous to reality. Like I keep trying to imagine, like. How would this happen in, 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 like, America? Like, this book was published, like, what, late 90s? like In Portugal. When, right. Yeah, so probably Lisbon is the city or one of the right. ma- other major Portuguese cities. Mm-hmm. is probably the setting right. without being named. Right. But, like, I remember when I was reading about, like, the movie, like, they wanted to specifically keep it nameless as possible. So I'm, right. I'm like... Same with all the characters. Right. Right. But... And maybe I just don't know enough about Portuguese society, but I feel like there's it's it's Western enough that like there wouldn't be immediate societal breakdown. Like you do oh, yeah, live within enough. a larger country, you can call for help. Yeah, exactly. It's not, and if it's um, you know, even you know, even within like the, I think that's maybe his whole thing of. Being against the European Union and, um, and these systems that him, are man. in place. I mean, yeah, feel but however I mean, you want about a, a, a worldly union of whatever. But, like, but these, it, these it, it, social supports do exist for a reason. And if it ha- and no matter where it ha- like, if it just turned out, like, bl- like, reporting that blindness was going about and it was an epidemic in, like, unless... I think that's the other thing, too, because it's so small in scale. When we try to think, well, why are these other countries helping? We don't, like, no mentioning of the fact that what's happening in the rest of the world, like, you know, like some, even though it's kind of lazy and hacky, but there's no other way to do it. Like, a newscast um, right. saying some a radio broadcast or, you know, something like that, mentioning that, this is happening in America and the UK and China and Brazil, you know, like saying that this is happening across the world so that, cause it was just localized in let's say Portugal, because that's where the author is based. Why aren't people helping, you know, right. cause there would be 
mass organization to from the Red Cross and from various um, charity organizations to want to help keep um, that society functioning. I think it's so the same as like what we experienced with the refugee crisis. Um, you know, just the massive impact to Europe uh, of refugees going up there um, and them all closing borders and uh, not wanting people to come through the countries and making people make these crazy routes to try to get to somewhere safe. Um, I think, I honestly think that's what would happen in the way that this book is going. I mean, if if the city set up a quarantine, I would say that its neighboring nations would set up a quarantine as well. Um, Because, I mean, it it pretty much wrecked wherever this place is <laughs> real fast. And, you know, if you're seeing what's happening, you don't want that to happen to your own kind. I think there's kind of a, I don't know, there, there's something to be said for how, like, this blindness is bringing out true humanity and things. That, that was a constant theme throughout the book. People going like, oh, this is the way humanity truly is. And yeah, that kind of thing. Um, but but one thing that um, I mean we know a little bit about um, Saramago's history with like communism and wanting to tear down the state and economic institutions and things. But do you think the book actually illustrates uh, like man's need to separate from those institutions, or do you think it emphasizes why we need them? I think it emphasizes that. Anarchism is me- is a lot messier than people make it out to be, because when it's just every you know when there are no when those institutions aren't in place, then it's absolute chaos. And I think as much as people uh, like anarcho communism is is an interesting ideal. I'm not denouncing it in any way, but as at like at a certain point. Um, you don't like eliminate the elimination of like private property and you know the, some of these institutions we put them in place for a ba- for some semblance of a reason even if it's a bit selfish but you know complete anarchism it, it, like it's depicted here kind of disproves his point because it's it's an absolute mess and I feel like some of the, you know, like I, I'm, a, I'm definitely against tearing down institutions that do more harm than good, but I'm not going to sit here and say every institution should be taken down because part of the reason he's able to publish his book is because of those institutions. Mm-hmm. So maybe he, it shouldn't, you know, like capitalism should be reformed to the point where it's not so lopsided in favor of the wealthy, but people should be able to make a living in some way. Maybe, you know you know like do away with like the way capitalism's practiced now but absolute like anarcho-communism is is like a fun idea to think about but it it's in almost impossible to really practice yeah i i just got this feeling the whole time i'm just like all right so you're you're trying to say something about individuality of people and their freedom and I mean even I thought like oh wow that must be nice not having to like go to work (laughs) you know like not being stuck to this schedule that's so corporate so capitalist and um 
like just dealing with the bullshit that we've created for ourselves in life. But at the same time, I think human societies, you know, even before we had these mass governments and the ability to connect on such a wide scale over state lines, there's always been aggregate groups like clans, tribes, warring families, uh, you know, like it's, it's always been a thing and there's always going to be some type of structure regardless of whatever. Like you can't have, like it just doesn't work, I don't think. And I think this book is a perfect illustration of why it doesn't. Because everyone just ends up having their own values and needs and there's no compromising. There's nothing to help make anybody's <laughs> um, needs be able to be accomplished. It's just, I don't know. I think he he's like shooting himself in the foot with this book. Mm. That was my thought. I don't know. <laughs> um, did we have anything else to add or? Uh, I did have one more uh, question. Mm, I think I had a couple more. Um, why do you think the doctor's wife was spared? <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that's one. I have no idea why. That didn't make any sense to me. Like, it didn't mention, like, was she from, not from the area? Like, was it something that... Plot oh, vehicle. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> She's there because the blind need a seer to lead. Hmm. Which is another ableist yeah. concept. Yeah, yeah I... I originally had, uh, back when I actually thought there would be some kind of resolution to why everyone went blind, which there might be. There's actually a sequel to this book. I think it's called Seeing, (laughs) where I'm assuming it's dealing with the societal impact of this event, which actually might be kind of interesting, because that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted to see the after i didn't really care about the during because this whole thing just i said it in our group chat together i think this whole thing read like a big torture porn fest like it was just trying to point out to us how miserable everyone is the whole time um was not a fun read at all uh but i i actually had a theory that i thought that it was fear fear that was transferring it because i don't think people got it until they worried about it or managed to other the person that was afflicted with it like like pity or fear seems to be the hook because like sort of like a psychosomatic thing like yeah like they had that whole wing of people that weren't blind yet and then it was only when like they started having interactions with um over the food and that kind of fight that all of those people began turning blind and you know, the soldiers out in the front, they would only be after conflicts with the blind people. I don't think it was proximity. I think it was something more ideological, which I thought was kind of interesting, but it wasn't explored or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This was very much more focused on societal and interpersonal sort of issues, not so much explaining the scientific process behind why these people went blind. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be the only character, or the the main, the biggest character, anyways. That's not entirely self-serving. I guess, like she, like, right. 
she's always trying to figure out how can I help the others. Even if helping the others meant staying quiet about her own ability to see. But, like, I think part of it is, like, she was resigned to the fact that, okay, I'm going to go blind eventually. Might as well do what I can while I still have my sight. Whereas the others are like, oh, no, I'm going to go blind. Oh, no, I don't want to go blind. Blind. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they start to rail against it, it gets them where she's like, well, there's still shit to do. Literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> uh, I am sorry. That was like the biggest sticking point with me is that it's just constant talk of people pooping everywhere. <laughs> And I do- that was one thing I thought was extremely unrealistic. I don't think in any society that's ever existed, even before we had plumbing, that people would just shit everywhere. I think it's an instinctual thing. I mean, maybe when you can't see, you don't know where somewhere like that is. But I- you can smell the the big old dunk. right? Yeah, like make dig holes in the ground. Sweater. You can find some grass. I don't know. Maybe the city's too a, urban. You can feel There's around no for a bush. Maybe this is my suburbia like, speaking to me. You know, <laughs> like dig a uh, hole somewhere. Come on. <laughs> even a blind cat can find their litter box. Sure. Right. Yeah. I. I just. I don't think. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. It got frustrating um, toward the end. <laughs> All right. I think that's all I have. Is there anything anyone okay. else would like to add before we do nah, verdicts? I think no. Nah, uh, we were a bit on a time crunch today, uh, uh, so we might as well just end it here. Because if we got nothing else to say, then let's just end it. All right. Alrighty. So verdicts. I'll start because I always start the verdicts. It's a it's a nice thing I get to do. It's 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 <laughs> the it's the order we have chosen because I think I rolled the dice for it. Yeah. Um. So. Okay, would I recommend this book? I don't think I would, um, only because I found it just upsetting. I'm not easily upset by books, but uh, it, it was one of those books, it kind of felt like watching Breaking Bad a bit. Like, Breaking Bad's a great show, but you do need lots of emotional breaks from it. It just depicts a lot of people suffering, and it's not pleasant to read or watch I don't think there's enough redeeming, there's not enough redemption for any of the characters or enough good things that happen to, like, make this something that doesn't feel like it's just trying to bring down blind people. I, I don't know. It was just was not a pleasant read. Uh, lots of trigger warnings for this one, content warnings I had to uh, give to our group just to make sure everyone's even okay with reading it. Um, Appreciated it. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, I'll give these to you too. If if you're listening and considering reading this book, there's uh, rape, sexual assault. Again, lots of. Um, I I actually gave you guys a content warning for like shit. <laughs> the actual like it's gross. There's a lot of descriptions of poop everywhere, and if you're squeamish, you won't like it. Um, you know, there's murder, death. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just it's a grim dark grimdark world this place mm-hmm. um so i did not enjoy reading it i don't think there's it i was frustrated because this author is supposed to be so treasured but there was nothing i read in this book 
that I could pick up and take with me into the world and help make a better world. Like, this book is just saying the world sucks. And I guess he's he's a bit of a pessimist. He's a self-confessed pessimist, um, Jose. Uh, so maybe that's the point. But I just didn't think that this book did anything Nobel Prize-worthy uh, to yeah, help I doubt the world. This is one of the ones that this was one of the ones that got him those uh, accolades. Yeah, I think just, this is one of his lesser books. Yeah, it, it. I. I just expected more from him, knowing a little bit about him. Uh, I don't. I don't think this serves the greater good uh, in the same way that maybe some of his other books do. So that being said, I do not recommend this book. Um, will I read it again? Uh-uh. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I might read the sequel, though, because I am curious what the fallout of the world he created is, because it's a mess. Literally, it's a mess in, at the end of this book, and um, might be interesting to see what happens to it, but I will not revisit this chapter of it. I think there is a place in literature for books like this. Like, the trash. <laughs> well, well, not even necessarily that. I'm sorry, just like, that was mean. Yeah. like thought experiments, experiments with style, like how mm-hmm. you're structuring your narrative. There is a place to do experiments like that. However, it Fair should enough. not be required reading for anyone who doesn't want to engage in this kind of experiment. So, I don't recommend it. I won't be reading it again. And I'm just going to try and forget about it as quickly as I can. <laughs> um, I pretty much agree with Melody practically word for word. Not really a whole lot of redemption. A lot of uh, seemingly needless upset. Um, will not read it again will not recommend it unless I dislike the person that I'm like, hey, I got a book for you. You know what's a fun read? Yeah. <laughs> you know what's a fun read? read Go read this and Read this to your kids um, for bedtime. Oh, God. Oh, no, oh, no, do not. Oh, shit. Do oh not. my God. No, no. Oh. <laughs> if you can read it. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. So, yeah. That's a, that's a no and a no for me. That... <laughs> Yeah, um, this is going to be the fourth no from me, dog. Yes, I've um, done it. I picked the most unpopular book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My book is a, is a uh, Stephanie Meyer book. Oh, so. true. We'll get there when we um, get there. <laughs> hey, um, if it's anything like the movie, I might actually like it. Because I remember actually liking parts of that movie with Saoirse Ronan. The, the book actually is better. Anyways, getting off okay. track. Okay. Off, that's future episode. Um but yeah, this is a no for me, dog. It's just one. It's hard to read if you're trying to actually physically read it. Two, the storyline. I I also, like as much as trying to make it more universal by having nameless characters is one thing. Like having no just it feels almost lazy in a point. Just like just give them a name: Joe, Mary, right. Michael. Yo, whatever the name is, give them something mm-hmm. that I can identify them as other than this descript like the eye doctor, the woman with the dark glasses, because apparently she's the only woman with the dark glasses. Like, I don't know. And I think that maybe, you know, stylistically him 
experiment like Max was saying, uh, this is could be more experimental. Okay, sure, but that's you know it doesn't make it a fun to read. Fun to read, and if this is, I hope this is an emblematic of his writing as a whole because I would not want to revisit it, and I don't know how much of that is you know lost in translation stuff or just his viewpoint being too pessimistic even for me like i don't mind having cynical you know media and consuming that but i feel like at a certain point like you can only have so much cynicism and right. before before it becomes just un too sour to to withstand i'm an edge i'm an edge lord but damn yeah <laughs> <laughs> there you go uh, on that note guys i'm gonna have to bow out since pretty much all that's left is the plugs yeah um but yeah we can edit this out i will talk to you guys later okay. i will probably miss or at least have to send in my notes for the next one max because that's yeah fine. thursday i'm getting my boobs Hooray! <laughs> right, yeah, I'm definitely gonna cut. Uh, unless you want me to, uh, unless you don't, unless you don't mind, uh, I will definitely cut. The- <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Pff, fuck it, I don't. I will be screaming it from the fucking rooftops. Yay! Yay the boobs are gone. Yay, okay, no more boobs. boobs. <laughs> All right, y'all are awesome. Love you. See bye, you later. Bye. Bye. See you, bye. Love you. Right, yeah, thanks, cool. Buddy. See you later. All right. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, thankfully, uh, Dex doesn't have to uh, introduce the next book. Uh, that's Max. That's me, Max yes. Max picked the next book. We're reading, uh, gosh, what's the list? There's a list. Okay, we're reading The City of Ember by Jean Duprow. Oh, I heard about this recently. Adaptation. Just like last week, I heard about this book. I, I feel cool. I actually know what the book is now. Yeah. <laughs> this was one I this read in, in uh, middle school a lot, and I really enjoyed it. All but uh, something I realized: I'm the movie guy, and everyone but my book has had a movie adaptation. I think. <laughs> Drop it the ball, but, but mine John. is also like this. This mine is also this weird. Um, Sinclair Lewis wrote this whole like fa- fascism in America book, and I doubt that that's very, um, you know. Although nowadays, depending on how it reads, uh, we'll see. But yeah, like City of Ember had a movie. Uh, Blindness had a movie. Uh, the Host had a movie. So, yeah, weird. I mean, it makes sense. These are more popular books, and that's what movies, movie studios have no qualms with mining that field. But, yeah, um, I remember, I think Bill Murray's in the movie. Um, right. Yeah, he's the mayor. Yeah, and uh, it's, it definitely, I get, get the feeling that the book is definitely more uh, compelling and interesting and has more going oh, for yeah, it. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we'll find out next time. Yeah. Alrighty. Okay, so um, I'd like to thank Magdalene Rose for artwork at the Magdalene Rose on Twitter um, uh, and Magdalene Rose on YouTube. Uh, thank you, Dream States, for our theme song. You can find them on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and anywhere else music is streamed. Check out their albums, parts one and two, Mode of Being, Sad, Bad, Happy, Good, and now their cover album, Massive Sonic Implications. Um, as for us, you can find us on all the socials and some type of thing that sounds like living in the stacks. There's lots of different handles. Um, I've dropped the ball a little bit on engaging with the social media, but I'm going to try. I'm going to make a lovely calendar and try to put some content up there, (laughs) but feel free to send us any types of messages on those. Um, we're on Facebook at living in the stacks, Twitter at in the stacks cast, Instagram at living in the stacks. 
Um, as for us individually, you can find me on Twitter at, at @minikui. It's at M-I-N-I-K-U-I. And I do actually have something to plug. I'm so Ooh. excited. Um, so my Dungeons & Dragons group has... Um, We've decided to start releasing our and re- recording and releasing our sessions, so you can listen to our amazing, wonderful, awesome shenanigans. Uh, the The podcast is called "Welcome to the Bone Era," and you can listen to it on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, what have you. Uh, and it's great. If you love if you love D and D, if you love like Critical Role, Adventure Zone, that kind of thing, we have a lot of fun with it. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Maxilotl sixty seven. This is the first time that I don't have uh, popcorn junkie to plug Aww. because it is on indefinite hiatus due to um, my time frame. Because I basically have been working so much overtime for the month of September. That I cannot physically see the movies. Poor John. So no pop. I'm hoping to bring it back in October um, and catch up with all the new. I didn't even release an episode in the month of August, so I think I'm gonna give that put that on on hold and work on some other projects. Um, I'll announce those when those are ready, but I'm hoping to have those ready soon as well. Um, uh, in the meantime, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, I haven't plugged that. Um, I'm at boatloads Bailey on Twitter, and uh, I tend to just retweet a bunch of lefty, uh, you know, <laughs> stuff, and mm-hmm. also, like, movies, and, like, the old, and, like, people like Lindsay Ellis, and Nash Bozard, and a bunch of old, uh, former Channel Awesome producers that They're are great. really cool people. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'll post random nonsense and thoughts, right. uh, but... For the most part, um, yeah, I'm, Popcorn Junkie is, uh, is taking a break, and I'm going to work on some other stuff. And uh, don't, But while you're checking out our podcast, uh, Gumby Cat Network still has uh, the entire archive of Popcorn Junkie, as well as my old D&D show, Tragic Missile, and uh, there's a, The Family Business um, about uh, Supernatural, once more with feeling about Buffy, uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, all done by uh, uh, my co-producer on the site, uh, Donna, and she does amazing stuff. So check all that out. And if you yourself are a podcaster and want to uh, join our little network and help us out, you know, and you think you you know your show would be a good fit, uh, send all the your inquiries to gumbycatnetworks at gmail dot com. So, yeah, uh, I think that's about... Oh, I think I was also on uh, one of the recent episodes of Macintosh and Mod featuring our old co-host, Diana. Um, she is now up to season five of... Yes, no, and I will, I, will be, uh, I will be joining her for Flutter Brother. I'm very excited. I was about to say you need to get on that show. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting on. I'm very excited. Nice. So, uh, yeah, that's all. So check me out. I'm on a couple episodes of Macintosh and Mod, and go support... Our former co-host Diana, because she is good and she makes good stuff. Do it. All right. Well, until next time, you'll find us living in the stacks. Bye bye. Bye.
Welcome to right. Lap. <laughs> I was like, I was just going to go right into it. Uh, sorry. Let's right. just go. jump into you. it. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs>